You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, The Sounds of the Bayside, Melbourne, Australia. Introducing our Pigeon Radio Australia presenter and executive producer of the show, Ivan Fonti. Morning, all. You're tuned to 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside, and you're listening to the only devoted racing pigeon radio show in the world, and that's Pigeon Radio Australia. And we have a great show lined up for you today. We've got a uh, great interview from a, a fellow in uh, Brisbane that races with the Queensland Racing Pigeons Federation, and that's Ray Zayloft. He's originally from the Philippines, and he's getting some great results up there in Queensland, and we're going to hear more about that. We've also got uh, Bryden McPhee coming on, and uh, he's going to give us an interview. I think he's going to interview somebody up there in Horsham in his local club. So we're going to hear from our new junior correspondent here on Pigeon Radio Australia, Bryden McPhee. We also have a feature on War Pigeons. So let's get on with the show. But first of all, I'd like to say a very good morning to uh, my good friend and uh, co-presenter here on Pigeon Radio Australia, and that's Tony Barbara. Hello, Tony, and uh, how are you going today? Good evening, good morning to you, and good morning to all the listeners, and good morning to everybody around the world. So how are your birds going now, Tony? Are they going all right? Well, they, this morning they flew all right. Mm. I, I gave them a bath, yeah. leave them there a couple hours. Uh. And how are you finding the health of the birds this they, year? They, they look, in, I reckon, better than last year. Better than last year? Oh, yeah, that's it's, very good. It's maybe the weather, you know, helping them. Yeah, this, I think this, so. This kind of weather. I think I the weather. I think the weather's been on our side this yeah, year. Yeah, I reckon a lot of viruses and that stay away. Mm. 
Now, I've got to uh, highlight a few articles here on pigeons that we've seen on uh, on the internet this week. And the, the, the main one I'd like to highlight is a podcast called In Black and White. And they've highlighted this story. And it was in the Herald Sun last week. So go and look it up. It's called The Littlest Hero of World War II Who Won an Award for Gallantry. Now, if you want to look up this podcast, it's uh, I'm going to feature the podcast on our show this morning, but go and look it up. It's called In Black and White, and it's featured in the Herald Sun every day. So look it up, In Black and White, and it's with Jen Kelly. Uh, now, he was notoriously bad at his job, but when soldiers were trapped, enemy fire on Manus Island, all hope rested on a pigeon named Q. When a patrol of soldiers was pinned down by enemy fire in New Guinea in World War II, it was up to a pigeon named Q to send for help. The brave bird from Elwood in Melbourne saved the day and earned the Dickon Medal, the animal equivalent of the Victoria Cross. Q is the subject of a new episode of the free In Black and White podcast on Australia's Forgotten Characters. The story is told in a children's picture book called Flapper VC by Melbourne author Mark Wilson. Now, Mark Wilson, we have uh, attempted to contact, but he's yet to reply our uh, emails. So I'm putting it out to him. Mark, if you're listening to the program, please contact us because some of the information that you're looking for, that you asked for in the podcast, we may be able to help you with that. Wilson says the remarkable thing about Q, one of many thousands of pigeons who served in the war, was it wasn't particularly good at its job. (laughs) They would take him out into the bush in Papua New Guinea and release him. And he was supposed to fly back to the base, Wilson says. He would take off and he would be a bit erratic. He would duck and weave and muck, muck around trying to work out where he was, I think. Then he'd turn around and fly off in the direction of home. So his little navigation system seemed to take a little while to click in. Remarkably, Wilson says it was Q's apparent lack of navigation, navigational nous, that probably saved his own life and the lives of many soldiers. Q, part of the 1st Australian Pigeon Section, was attached to American forces on Manus Island when a large patrol was pinned down by the Japanese in April 1944. They heard shots at some stage and some villagers came and told them they were basically surrounded now by about 200 enemy soldiers, Wilson says. With no other means of communication, the patrol's three pigeons were their last hope. The first pigeon was released, but was shot down. The second pigeon suffered the same fate, leaving Q as their final hope. They release him, and he took off, and dropped a little bit as the enemy started shooting at him, Wilson says. He wasn't ducking from the shots, he was just doing his normal ducking and weaving to find where he was. The report says he faced heavy enemy fire, which you can only assume would be machine guns and rifles and all sorts of things shooting at him. Once Q found its bearings, the bird figured out the way back to base. 
Q flew about 40 to 48 kilometers in 47 minutes, carrying detailed message and raising the alarm. The area was soon bombed and the Allied troops were saved. We're going to feature this podcast. It's called In Black and White and it's presented every day uh, in the Herald Sun. In Black and White, the podcast is. Go and search it on Apple Podcasts. But here it is. Let's have a listen to uh, what Mark Wilson said to Jen Kelly on the In Black and White podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, Mark. Oh, thank you very much, Jen. It's good to be back. Now, Mark, we've talked about hero war animals on this podcast before. We've talked about a cat and a dog and a horse. But I don't think many of our listeners would be aware how many World War II soldiers owed their lives to pigeons. The thing about the jungle warfare in the Pacific was that the normal lines of communication didn't work, like your your radios and the wires going from camp to patrols and that in the bush. They didn't really work because of the humidity. That was the, the big uh, problem. took them probably two or three years before they really twigged that they might need um, to go back to the Egyptian times and uh, employ pigeons. Mm. And it wasn't just an ad hoc arrangement, was it? I mean, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of pigeons and, and a dedicated pigeon service within the Australian Corps of Signals. Well, they um, initially they contacted just about every pigeon handler in Australia um, through a chap called uh, Bert Cornish. He was the chap the um, the army sort of uh, contacted, to say, "Look, we need to set up a pigeon uh, service, and uh, you're the you're the sort of person we need to do it." So he basically contacted all the pigeon handlers all over Australia, um, including uh, Mister AJ Favell, who had his own uh, little batch of pigeons, uh, including our little friend Flapper. Now, Flapper, I've named. <laughs> he's not. His name wasn't Flapper. In fact, he's got a number. His number is actually 879. I think they just called him Q. From everything I've uh, researched, he was referred to as Q. They never used his number or anything else. So each of the birds must have had... Um, a nickname of some kind, and Q was generally um, Flapper's term. Mm. And I take it there was a lot of resistance from within the army to using pigeons because a lot of people just thought that it was so old-fashioned when they had all these modern forms of communication available. Absolutely. There was a general (laughs) um, at one stage who um, had to be convinced (laughs) that uh, the pigeons would be the way to go. Um, He wasn't convinced that the radios wouldn't work in the jungle, but um, the soldiers on the ground, uh, as usual, knew more than the brass at the top, and the soldiers on the ground were quite happy to take the pigeons into the jungle with them. And the numbers are quite astonishing. I read that there were, in 1942 alone, that 13,500 birds were donated from around Australia for the wartime effort. Yes, and many thousands more actually bred um, during the scheme, both in Australia and uh, in New Guinea and in the war zones. Mm. Now, we'll talk more about Flapper soon, and and Flapper was obviously from Australia, but I understand that a lot of the pigeons had trouble acclimatising to the tropics, as they discovered once they got to Port Moresby, and that's why they had to set up a a breeding program up there. Absolutely. That was the the reason they had to set that up in the Pacific, because the heat stress and the humidity, the birds weren't used to. 
the actual birds came from all over Australia, but a lot of them came from Melbourne and uh, some from Adelaide, etc. And they were used to the colder climate. And not only were they affected by the heat, but I think it put, I've read where it actually put their navigation systems into a bit of a lockdown too. They, the humidity and the heat somehow uh, impacted on their navigation abilities. Oh, so they were suddenly getting lost. Yes. Um, look, there's been a lot of research and a lot of it's still, um, they're still unsure of how um, pigeons actually navigate. But the electromagnetic field of the Earth seems to be one of the latest um, ideas. And the humidity, I don't know how that would affect it, weather, um, storms, all that sort of thing. Only a pigeon could tell us, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I know very little about pigeons, but one thing I remember hearing is that they only ever have one base. So they, they learn where home is and that they learn to constantly return to that same base. So I'm curious how this went when they were shipped off to war, when they suddenly had a, a new home base and presumably sometimes their home base had to change over time. They seem to adapt to that with training. So um, the trainers would take them in a truck, they, they would make a base on, say, Manus Island or Papua New Guinea, wherever it was. They'd make a base and they would set up there and they would train the, the pigeons to return to that base. Then they would take them on field trips um, and take them further and further away. And then they would relocate to different parts of the Pacific for, you know, different war zones, and they would sort of train them from a central base again to do what they had to do. So they would adapt. They could adapt to a new home base, but I'm not sure how many they would go through. So they'd have the one they grew up with in Melbourne or Adelaide, then they'd have the one in Papua New Guinea, the main base that they went to for the jungle training, basically. Um, and then, obviously, one or two more, because Little Flapper, he was part of a group, um, a task force called G Brewer Task Force. Uh, they were based on Manus Island. Well, that was their area of operation, and Fla- and their headquarters was only 25 um, k's from Trebito, the town that Flapper was trapped in with the soldiers, uh, the soldiers who he actually eventually rescued. So it's hard to work out, but we do know that they could relocate and have a new home and fly back to it. Mm, Amazing. All right, well, let's talk more now about Flapper, or perhaps we should be calling Flapper Q, (laughs) as that was the nickname that Flapper was known by. So what do we know about Flapper from the very beginning? So we think Flapper was bred in Elwood in Melbourne? Yes, but there is absolutely no information on, um, you know, a photograph, an old photograph of his house. Uh, This is, as far as my research goes, somebody hopefully may hear this podcast or um, see the article in the Herald Sun and say, oh, hang on, I live next door to a Mr Favell and he had pigeons. (laughs) So so I'd love to hear one day, if anybody's out there listening to this, um, my name's Mark Wilson 
and you can find me on my website and there's an email address there. If you want to contact me, I'd love to hear from you. And so, Mark, I see that the the donor, the breeder of the bird, AJ Flavel, which is F-L-A-V-E-L-L, Esquire, lived at either 14 or 15 Vortier Street, Elwood. So perhaps if anyone happened to live in Vortier Street, Elwood back then, they might be able to contact us with with more memories of the the pigeon breeding program and and Flapper's early life, perhaps. Oh, look, that would be fabulous if somebody could do that. Um, My research, I had absolutely nothing on Flapper until he arrived in um, New Guinea and went to Manus Island with an American patrol as part of the, the forces at Trebito so, on Manus Island. So if anybody has any information, that would be absolutely fabulous. Mm-hmm. So Flapper was part of the first Australian pigeon section. Is that how we pronounce it or do we just say the one Australian pigeon section? Well, um, first, I think you say first Australian pigeon section attached to the US uh, task force on Manus Island. Mm. And I've been saying he, but do we know whether Flapper was a boy? Mm, good question. <laughs> Perhaps we should be saying it. <laughs> I could not find out if he was or not. And what do we know about Flapper's life once it arrived on Manus Island? He, I, look, I did a lot of research and I can't work out where I found this out, but it turns out Flapper wasn't very good at his job. He <laughs> <laughs> was a bit like me. I was I was in Survey Corps in the Army for two years doing national service, and I don't think I was very good at my job either. So Flapper and I had a lot in common. <laughs> well, at least Flapper made up for it later well, on. He made up for it by being a war hero. I, I didn't actually do that. So, <laughs> no. And what do you mean when you say he wasn't very good? Did he well, get himself lost? No, he uh, he would take off, and they would take him out to the bush. This is in Papua New Guinea, not in. So I have no information about his training in Australia. Uh, he must have been reasonably good though, because he was taken as one of the pigeons. So uh, anyway, so he'd take off. They'd take him out into the bush uh, and release him, and he was supposed to fly back to the base. <laughs> He would take off and he would be a bit erratic uh, and he would um, sort of duck and weave and muck around, trying to find his um, way, work out where he was, I think. Um, so he'd do this for a little bit and then he'd sort of think, oh, and, and work out it, and then he'd turn around and fly off in the direction of home. So he, uh, his little navigation system seemed to take a little while to click in, whereas other pigeons would um, sort of, just fly off and maybe do a circle and then straight off they'd head for home. So, But a little flapper, he, or Q, as we, we'll call him Flapper Q if you like, but um, he, he would uh, muck around a little bit, which we'll get probably get to it later, may have helped save his little life. Ah, oh, very interesting. So did he get better over a matter of days at finding his way home? I don't know. I, all I know was he was a bit erratic. I don't think he did because he was pigeon number three. They took three pigeons on the patrol, and I think they did this generally. If pigeons went out on patrol, there were three of them in one cage, and it was usually carried by one of the 
native Papua New Guineans or a Manus Island person or whatever it was. The soldiers didn't seem to carry them themselves. I've got photographs of people from Papua New Guinea carrying the baskets through the jungle. Uh, and I couldn't find a single photograph of an Australian soldier actually carrying the basket. So, uh, yeah, there'd be three in a basket. And Flapper, he was designated pigeon number three. <laughs> so I think the other two were better at uh, flying home than he was. And so, Mark, I take it that you couldn't really just have any ordinary soldier to look after these pigeons and to send them off on their flights. They would have needed sort of trained pigeon experts, wouldn't they? Oh, absolutely. It's it's like uh, it's like any animal. You need people who really understand the animals, and and the animal sort of senses the understanding and some sort of weird communication. And pi- I don't think pigeons are any different. And the generals wanted to use, oh, let's use soldiers, you know. We can't use civilians for this job. So um, that's my impersonation of a general. Um, so the expert they called on, who um, was well-known in Australia, uh, Bert Cornish, they asked him to organise it and to round up as many birds as he could, and he contacted all the, all the, uh, the pigeon handlers around Australia and got thousands and thousands of these birds organised, had them picked up and with the army doing all the heavy lifting, uh, went round, collected all the birds. As you mentioned before, the army wanted to um, use soldiers, but Bert Cornish was really, really strong on this and said to the, um, said to the army, no, no, you've got to have real um, pigeon handlers to make this work because they understand how they have to be trained and looked after and the whole bit. And the army actually gave in, which is pretty unusual for the army. They usually make a decision and that's pretty much it. So um, Bert got his way and uh, they they had a lot of um, handlers come in and did some sort of probably basic training for a week or whatever, but their job was to handle the pigeons. Mm. But Flapper's breeder was was back home in Elwood. I take it that he didn't actually go to Port Moresby. No, he must have um, wanted to stay home because there's no mention of him. Um, in the dispatches or I've actually got a record of the actual patrol report and it's quite detailed. There's no mention of the handler's name in that report uh, that was made just after the soldiers were rescued uh, Mm. when Flapper, in the incident where Flapper won his medal. Yeah, so there's no mention Mm -hmm. of the handler and I'm pretty sure from the research... uh, when I did the book was that um, the owner didn't go to Papua New Guinea, didn't follow him into battle. And how did Flapper go once he was sent out on missions? I mean, we've talked about the navigation system and humidity, but I'm just sort of imagining the sound of gunfire and explosions and aircraft everywhere and tanks. It just seems to me this actually must have been quite terrifying for pigeons. I'm pretty sure, in fact, I know that they did do some under fire training same as they did with horses and dogs they'd train them or they'd take them through a mock battle scene where you'd have explosions and the sound of machine guns and things and the pigeons were trained in that a little bit i can't find out any reference of actually how much like whether they did um sound training or battle training every day for a week or whatever there's no no record of that. So I'm assuming they had at least two or three 
sessions where bombs would go off and machine guns might be fired to see how they'd react. And some may have reacted badly and they would, you know, uh, retire them or or whatever. And, and Flapper must have passed this test to have been included in the ones that would go out on patrol. And once Flapper went out on patrol, was the bird ever shot at? Yes. Do you want me to tell you about the actual patrol that he was on when he won his medal? Do we know anything about any of his patrols before Uh, the one that he won the medal for? Yeah, that's a tricky question. I could find no reference to him actually being out on a patrol before this one. And once, once again, somebody out there may have some information, which I'd love to hear about again, because I could not find anything. The actual documents in the AWM, there's not a lot. There's a one-page word-for-word copy of the actual report that was sent in um, by the patrol, and it was signed by um, United States Lieutenant Colonel H.F. Hoffman, signed the message that Flapper delivered. And that's the only name that I've got of anybody associated with that patrol. So did Flapper and the other pigeons just have a a short note that was, you know, attached to their leg? Is that how they delivered messages? Well, there's a little metal canister. Now, it's about the the size of a pencil, but it's hollow, of course. It's the size of a pencil. It's half an inch to three-quarters of an inch long. So the message would be rolled up and put in this tiny little um, aluminium canister, which had two little straps on it. And those two little straps would be strapped around the pigeon's leg uh, and the and the message put inside and, and the canister had a little cap on one end of it and it was fairly light. So the message would have to fit on a piece of paper and in this little canister. So it couldn't be, it couldn't be too de- detailed. No. And so obviously sometimes the messages might be something like send help and the coordinates, but what other types of messages were, did pigeons carry during World War II? Oh, they were mainly used for um, identifying where a patrol might be or they. I don't think they were actually used for um, relaying orders, say from headquarters to somebody else. They were mainly used in emergencies where the normal communications, the radio, would break down. And were the messages written in code? You've got some fabulous questions. I could not... Well, I'm just sort of imagining pigeons being shot down and the enemy finding the, the little canister attached to the leg and suddenly they'd know the location of a particular patrol, exactly. which seems like a big security risk. You've probably noticed I cleverly avoided that in my book. there's no actual message sitting there open, which is exactly what I wanted. And you probably know, Jen, that in my books I use any documentation like that that I can find, like real advance orders or whatever, or letters. I use them in my books a lot. I could not find, uh, I assume it was in code. It'd have to be for the same reasons you just mentioned, if Flapper got shot. And the the two pigeons that took off, now... Do you want me to give the game away and tell you the story of his... Oh, yes. I I think it's time. Please do tell us the story of what Flapper won the medal for. Well, an American patrol, part of G. Brewster Task Force, went to a town looking for the enemy, 
um, soldiers. They were in Drabito and a little town on Manus Island, a village, and they heard shots at some stage and some villagers came and told them they were basically surrounded now by about 200 enemy soldiers. So the, the patrol's trapped. The patrol had three little pigeons. They were about 25 k's away from headquarters over water. The first little pigeon they released and he took off and he was shot. He was shot down. First little pigeon. So there's your little message. It would have to have been in code because they'd have to anticipate at least one of the birds being shot by the enemy. Second little pigeon released. New message, off he goes. He also tries to fly straight home. He gets shot down as well. So uh, Q, little flapper, is the last one, their last chance of getting a message through. And they know that being surrounded and the enemy being very, very aggressive at this stage of the war, they might be in really big trouble. So little flapper, they release him. They put a message on his little thing. They release him and... He took off and he sort of dropped a little bit as the enemy started shooting at him. He wasn't ducking from the shots. He was just doing his normal ducking and weaving to find his where he was, his position. And uh, so he ducked and weaved a little bit and the enemy, the report says he faced heavy enemy fire, which you can only assume would be machine guns and rifles and all sorts of things shooting at him. Uh, and they'd be ready because of the two pigeons that they'd shot down before little flapper Q was released. Somehow he managed to fly um, uninjured through that gunfire, found his, his direction eventually, and I don't know whether he was flying through the gunfire on the way home in the right direction or whether he just sort of flapped around in his usual way, uh, a little bit confused until he worked out where he was uh, and, and by then being out of range and then flew home. And therein is the only fiction in the book. I cannot find out whether there was a storm. One one report I read somewhere, there was a storm, so I've made a big deal of this um, storm. So you've got little flapper there, you've got the explosions going off, etc., etc., and then you've got him a tiny little pigeon with these horrible big clouds and rain and lightning and things. That was poetic licence. <laughs> <laughs> and how far has Flapper flown and, and how long has it taken him to get back? Well, this I know. It's actually in the report. He flew 25 to 30 kilometres over jungle and over water and he flew, uh, it was for 25 to 30 miles. That, that's an exact quote from the report. And he did it in exactly 47 minutes. So the code must have had the time he took off, which I assume they'd have to do um, so that the um, officers who received the message would know how long it took and where they were and distance, etc. 47 minutes to fly his 30 kilometres. And you think, well, that's pretty good. But, of course, pigeons can actually fly um, at f up to 50 kilometres an hour um, mm. and in a pinch over a very short distance 
up to 90 kilometres an hour. Now, I've read that a couple of times in different things. Now, if anybody thinks I'm incorrect with that one, um, I'll let you email me and and dress me down for that. But that's pretty fast. You're getting up there in Falcon and Swift sort of speeds there. So, yeah. What happened once Flapper's message was well, delivered? Well, he delivered the message. I think the, um, the message also contained a coded thing saying the area around Drobito could be bombed successfully because the soldiers were there. So they called in a bombing run, which worked, and the soldiers were extricated from that um, situation and saved by a little... So they were all rescued thanks to Flapper. He, uh, He did his job, and after that, there's not much record of what happened to him. And Well, we know, very sadly, we know this is a fact of both world wars, that any animals, and we're talking about millions of animals, millions of horses, dogs and pigeons and mascots like chooks and and, uh, wallabies and all sorts of animals weren't allowed back into Australia because of our quarantine law. So um, we know that Flapper or Q and um, his other mates weren't uh, returned to Australia. We have, I know it's a sad thing with taxidermy and stuff, but Flapper, his body was brought back to Australia. And I haven't been able to find out whether he came back alive or however. I know this pretty gruesome sort of stuff, but this is part of the story. He, They have his taxidermy little body at the AWM in Canberra. And that's mm-hmm. how I discovered mm-hmm. him. I saw him. I was doing research on Digger, the dog who went to war. And uh, I just wandering around, as I do, I'm there for three or four days at a time, wandering around, saw this little um, photograph and a little statue, a little, and I thought it was a statue, but it wasn't. It was a taxidermy version of a little flapper. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, what's he in here for? A little bit pigeon. And I think I'd written the story that night in the hotel in... Um, in uh, Canberra, yeah. Mm. So most of the birds were put down at the end of the wall rather than being let loose. I assume that they it wouldn't have been very helpful to just let them loose in no, the jungle. No, because their seed, the food, there was none of the food that they needed in the jungle. All their food had to be brought from Australia because of the type of seeds. You'd think a pigeon could survive on any type of seed in the bush, but, obvi- well, from what I've read, they couldn't. They had to be fed the sort of seeds they were used to eating back in Australia. I suppose you can't change an animal's um, diet, you know, halfway through their life successfully. Um, probably as much as you couldn't change a human's too much. So, um, yeah, so uh, they. Um, I don't think they released them. I think they actually put them down. They didn't want to release them and have them starve in the jungle. Because just like the handlers of the dogs and the horses, um, they became very attached. And, and the soldiers in the Middle East, when they had to let their horses go, a lot of them couldn't and put their horses down because they couldn't just see them wander off into the desert as they, when they came back to when the Aussies came back to Australia. It is terribly sad. Uh, on a happier note, Flapper did receive the Dickon Medal, which I'd never heard of, but it's the animal equivalent of the VC. Can you tell us well, about that? Well, the Dickon Medal has been given to mainly dogs and horses and things. It's a British 
British metal. And um, a lot of a lot of creatures have had it. In fact, I've just because we were talking today, I had a look on online, and there's probably about thirty um, other recipients of it. Thirty or forty. No mention in the list that came up online. No mention of Flapper or his other little friend, <laughs> one three nine. I think the other bird's number was. Um, and he saved sailors from a sinking ship, also in the Pacific. And in the list of Dick and Metal winners, neither neither Q or this other little bird were mentioned in the list, but they did receive the Dick and Metal for saving soldiers in the Pacific, both of them. And it was it was posthumously awarded to him. Now, the funny thing is um, it was presented to the AWM because of Flapper was already there. I still can't nail down exactly what happened there where the flapper was brought back to Australia and sent back to his owner. There's no record of that. I don't know whether he was brought back and because he'd saved the patrol, somebody said, oh, let's send him to Canberra. I've got, I can't find out. And once again, if somebody else out there can help me fill in these little gaps in my research, I would be pretty happy. Mm. And finally, Mark, can you just sum up how you would like Australians to remember Flapper and all the other pigeons? Well, I'd like, uh, I, I want people really to be aware that these little creatures, they served us and then um, we didn't let them come home. And to me, that's, apart from being sad, I think it's wrong that that was the case. I mean, quarantine laws are quarantine laws. They're just a law, really. You can say, well, I could have brought a disease back, but... You get an animal goes into quarantine like a human goes into quarantine, and we know all we know enough about that over the last two years, don't we? I think it could have been managed for some of the healthy birds and animals, especially dogs and horses, um, to be allowed back in. It would have been good. From St Kilda to Clayton, you're listening to eighty-eight point three Southern FM. From the hills to the sand, from the land to the sea. From the heart of the bush to the hard city streets From the theatres of war to the victories of peace To a world melting pot from the dawning of dreams From the north to the south to the west to the east We've cast our minds back on our story in the sun was not easily won We stand on the backs of so many unknown If you follow the trail of the stories long lost You'll discover the ghosts that have dwelt in our past And you'll know that our nation was born out of Mostly paid with our glory So now the show is done And now the songs are sung Hope you got inspiration from all of them Men and women of fair ability Who live life with such grace and humility and as the years roll on, and we 
we all sing our own songs? Will we give what they give? Will we turn out to be unsung heroes of our history? pigeon requirements, head to Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies. We make our own range of pigeon carry baskets, bird breeding cages and boxes. We're one of Melbourne's largest suppliers of quality seed, feed and more. You'll find health supplements, minerals and grits for pigeons and other breeds. Visit Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies at our retail shop in Apex Court, Thomastown or phone 9464 2439. Southern FM sponsor. Keep your pigeons healthy with Applied Nutrition Australia, number one for all-in-one bird supplements. Tummy Right for Pigeons is a nutritional supplement for racing pigeons to support proper functioning of the gastrointestinal tract. The Applied Nutrition range of products is made in Australia and sold factory direct to you. For top quality products formulated by Australia's leading animal and avicultural nutritionist, visit appliednutrition.com.au. Southern FM sponsor. Your one-stop produce and farming supplies. Tara Meat. We get racing pigeons racing, horses racing, cattle and poultry feeding. All racing pigeon products and supplements available. We also have live poultry sales. Tara Meat stock feed and farming supplies. 1227 Holden Road, Tulin Vale. Open seven days a week. Telephone, Peter, on 0484-340-551. Southern FM sponsor. Natural Pigeon Products are the Australian distributors for Rhonefried Pigeon Products. Rhonefried, a German-based company, is a leading manufacturer of world-class, premium, European racing pigeon products that will help you maintain your racing pigeons' inner health all year round. Contact Natural Pigeon Products on 03 5 
and pigeonvitality.com.au. Southern FM sponsor. When everything keeps changing, it's hard to know how to feel. So if the last couple years have left you with mixed emotions, you're not alone. Search Beyond Blue Coronavirus for free tools, support, or to have a chat today. Hi, Craig Lowndes here. As a professional driver, safety is my highest priority. At the Australian Road Safety Foundation, we believe every single road user has the power to be the change they want to see on the road. And that starts well before getting behind the wheel. With road trauma being the biggest killer of kids age one to 14, and the second biggest of those under 25. I'm urging teachers, parents, and students to visit roadset.com.au and get started on their own educational journey today. Želite li okusiti Hrvatsku? Ugodite Hrvatskom glasu s Maricom Čok. Hrvatska glazba, vijesti i čet. Svakog ponedjeljka od 22 do 3 sata. Upravo ovdje, na 88.3 Južna FM. Zvukovi uz obalu. Monday is from 10pm to 3am. Tune in to Croatian Voice with Marica Čok. A taste of Croatia with Croatian music, news and chat right here on 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside. This is Didi Zed, your captain speaking. Tune in every Wednesday at 2pm. Travel the world, musically speaking, from the Eiffel Tower to the Rialto, from the Colosseum to the Pyramids, from the London Bridge to Golden Gate. Tune in every Wednesday, 2pm, for International Caravan with your captain, Didi Zed. Pigeon Radio Australia on 88.3 Southern FM. The sounds of the Bayside. All the way, down under, in Melbourne, Australia. The only devoted racing pigeon radio show in the world. So, stop the pigeon, 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 stop the pigeon. You're tuned to 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside, and you're listening to the only devoted racing pigeon radio show in the entire world, and that's Pigeon Radio Australia. Our website address at Pigeon Radio Australia is www.pigeonmedia.com.au. And the Southern FM website, which has some interesting stuff on it, go and check out the podcast on our Southern FM website, and that's www.southernfm.com.au. AU. And you can also catch us on Facebook. We have the Pigeon Media, Pigeon Radio Australia Facebook page. We've also got groups, the Racing Pigeon Australia, Pigeon Radio Australia is the Australian-based group, and our worldwide group with nearly 90,000 members, listen to me people, 90,000 members is the Racing Pigeon Global on Facebook. Uh, There's a lot of people from every country in the world who race pigeons and have the same 
interest as we do. So go and check it out, the Racing Pigeon Global on Facebook. And right now, let's get back to our media report for the week. Now, here's another story from uh, America. And it reads like this. Angry spouse throws an iMac out of the window. So what she had was a uh, computer. And she threw it out the window and she killed a pigeon. (laughs) A Brooklyn bystander claims they witnessed an angry spouse in Bushwick throw an iMac out of a window, killing a pigeon in the process. The frankly ridiculous story was reported by Twitter's human Mel Friday, who stated, walking in Bushwick and someone's angry spouse just threw this Mac out the window and they killed a pigeon on the way down. <laughs> mm. What do you think of that, Tony? She got upset. She threw the computer out of the, uh, out of the car and it killed a pigeon. But that that's a bloke, isn't it? I think so, I think so. Now listen to this story coming out of Ireland. This is very interesting because uh, it says, why pigeons in Dublin can have missing toes or feet? So they reckon that the pigeons on the street, the street peckers, they got missing toes and missing feet. And Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Island says that city pigeons also lend to cope better with disability than birds that live in wilder and more natural environments. There's a reason why some pigeons in city centres have missing toes or even mutilated feet and humans are partially to blame. If you've ever spent time in Dublin city centre, you may have not noticed the odd pigeon with less than all of its toes walking around in search of food. Or maybe you haven't been, but either way, there's a reason why so many pigeons are affected by problems with their feet. Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Island said that while feral pigeons in urban areas certainly do seem to be affected by foot problems... More than other birds, it could just be the case that they come close enough to humans for us to notice. It would be much harder to spot injuries or deformities in most other species of birds as we rarely see them at close range or indeed get to see their feet at all, he said. While birds' feet are covered in hard scales, which means they are protected from infections, getting a cut or injury could make them more susceptible. Hatch said it's usually the case the swollen feet and missing toes are the result of bacterial and fungal infections and or mite infestations. So there you go, Tony. The, the pigeons in the cities, they reckon they've got missing feet. So the mites are, though, and... Well, that's what they reckon. Mites and all other different diseases, fungal diseases and and all that sort of stuff. Now, listen to this. Mike Tyson reveals how his encounter with pigeon poop led, led to an obsession worth millions of dollars. The heavyweight legend Mike Tyson has always been fond of putting animals and pigeons and at one point he had white tigers roaming all around his house. It cost him some serious money, but Tyson never sh- uh, shied away from spending those amounts on his loved possessions. 
After being bankrupt in 2009, Tyson didn't seem to possess any more wild animals. However, he still has an eye for pigeons. Before returning to an exhibition against Roy Jones Jr. in 2020, the baddest man on the planet said he wouldn't mind spending $2 million on pursuing a special pigeon that said his love and affection came after he encountered pigeon poop back in his day. In an LG Live session, Tyson detailed about it, about it and said, I don't know somebody had me clean their roof and the pigeon poop. So he made me clean that pigeon coop and ever since I done that, I fell in love with pigeons. There you go. <laughs> Tony, you see that? Mike Tyson mm. was cleaning pigeon poo and ever since he cleaned pigeon poo, he fell in love with pigeons. What do you think of that, mate? They got to like him and they got to like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. And there's another story, and I'll just like to highlight this one because this is a very unusual story coming from England, and it's about a lady that has pet pigeons and she dresses them in clothes. (laughs) And she says, it hurts when they call my babies flying rats. Woman who dresses her pigeons in cute costumes say they deserve to be loved. They are living a life of luxury as Maggie Johnson campaigns for animal rights. Maggie Johnson is an animal lover from Louth who loves pigeons so much that she dresses them in cute costumes and says she wouldn't change anything about her lifestyle. Maggie is 23 and has four pigeons two of which she lets roam free around her home. They have their own rooms, a wardrobe, a range of fancy flying costumes, and even get pushed in a baby stroller. So she takes them for a walk in a pram. She is also the owner of a pet shop, Potty About Pets in Louth in the United Kingdom, and spends around £4,000 a year on her rescued pigeons. They enjoy their own adapted bedroom, wardrobe of 17 outfits and counting which costs around £500. Despite some of the people disagreeing with her choices, Maggie says pigeons should be cared for and loved despite people ignoring her wishes. There you go. She dresses them up and she looks after them. She, she looks after the pigeons uh, more than we look after ourselves. <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. Anyway, that's a bit of a wrap up on the uh, media week of pigeons on the internet. And right now, we have to break for the Southern FM National Radio News. And uh, we have a great news uh, service here at Southern FM, uh, which trains people to get into uh, news reading on radio as a career. So uh, support that. Listen to our news service, the Southern FM 
National Radio News coming up. And we'll be back after the Southern FM National Radio News with a special guest from Brisbane in Queensland. And he's originally from the Philippines. His name is Raise A Loft. And he's getting some great results up there in Queensland. So in the Queensland Racing Pigeon Federation. So we'll hear from him after the Southern FM National Radio News. We'll be back after the news. So stay tuned to Pigeon Radio Australia and 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside. You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside, Melbourne, Australia. You're tuned to 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside, and you're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia. Our website address at Pigeon Radio Australia is www.pigeonmedia.com.au and the Southern FM website is www.southernfm.com.au. We have a special guest all the way from Brisbane in, uh, and he races with the Queensland Racing Pigeon Federation and he's Raise A Lofts, everybody knows him as on, uh, on Facebook and he's had some fantastic results up there in Brisbane. How are you and welcome to Pigeon Radio Australia. Oh, hello, Ivan. Um, hello, Tony. How are you, mate? You good. You're right? Yeah, good, mate. Say it again. How are you? How are you, mate? Yeah, no worries. Now, no, listen, tell us a little bit about... You've been having some fantastic results in, uh, in the Queensland Racing Pigeon Federation in the last 12 months. Tell us a little bit about your birds and uh, how you've been getting these results. And uh, you're originally from the Philippines. Did you race yep. pigeons in the Philippines as well before you come to Australia? Um, no, um, I didn't race in the Philippines. Um, I just used the pigeons like a hobby since I was seven years old. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, uh, we moved down here around uh, 2006 in Brisbane, and I look at some of the birds. I started with the rolling pigeons, and then uh, about 2015, I started with the racing pigeon. Yeah, and you've been getting some great results, and also I've noticed that you've had some really, really good results in some of the one-loft races around the country. Yes, yes, I've been lucky um, these last few years. Um, I acquired some good pigeons, um, and then uh, I made my own family of birds, like my skyrocket family. It's very, very consistent birds, and yeah. So you know, your sky, um, yeah. skyrocket family, what, what bloodline are they mainly? Um, they are Janssen, Cross, Hoban, Floringo. Oh, yeah, very good cross, yeah. And where did you originally yeah. obtain those pigeons? Um, that Janssen, cock, and then a hen um, I acquired from a friend of mine. Uh, and then, but they're originally from David Van Als and 
I think the cockbird was bred from BIP lops. Oh, yeah. And look, you've had some fantastic results. Um, so are you enjoying yourself with it? Ah, yes, yes. I'm enjoying like being consistent uh, player almost every week in the top. You know, I'm just playing with from top one to top 15 almost every week. Now, you're an avid user. I, I spoke to Dr. Michael Evans the other day because I, uh, I'm one of his uh, sellers of his tummy, right? Now, you're an avid user of tummy, right, aren't you? Yes, yes. Um, I used the tummy right last year, which is very, very good product. Um, what happened is, you know, everyone knows how to do their feeding, training, and how to keep them, uh, the birds healthy. But uh, when you give the uh, tummy right, it will uh, fill the gap, the one that it's missing on them. So when before I never used tummy right, um, I'm like inconsistent in the uh, federation race. It's like sometimes you're in the top team, sometimes you're not. But since I use the tummy right, I, I end up getting almost top 10 every every week. So I, I'm very, very happy with the product. So, and, yeah. so how do you use it? How many times a week do you use? Do you use it every day um, or what do you do? Well, uh, I, I use it as uh, Dr. Michael Evans' recommendation. He told me that uh, at the moment, use the time right every day. And then once the um, racing season starts, then you, ha- you need to use about three products. Like, you know, um, from Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you use the time right with uh, hemp seed oil. We mix it with uh, light mix. And then on the Tuesday, you start with a heavy mix, and then you mix the fly right until Friday on the basketing night. Okay, so there, that's how you use it. Now, tell us a little bit about your pigeons. Uh, uh, yep. your, your, your birds, you've told us about your main line there, but uh, mm. how, how, what are your results, and, and, and which pigeons have you been? Have you got any results there for us, and... and, and and he wins, and you've done very well in the one loft races as well. Yep. Um, well, um, my first federation win last year, I was very, very happy. Um, that, that was like I've been in the QPF for four years, I think. And last year is my first federation win. Uh, I used the uh, Dirk Vandenberg, the new lines. And I acquired those pigeons from David Van Als. And also, I cross them with my own line, which is they make my own line more consistently. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you find the Dirk Vanderbilt birds doing well for you? Because there's a lot of people saying, some people saying they do good, some people saying they don't do good. They can't fly a distance, they reckon. What What do you find with them? Uh, well, you know, um, if you invested with the Dirk Vandenberg, we all know that those pigeons are only spring pigeons. So we don't we don't really push them too far, you know. So um, how far so how far would you go with them? Uh, I think I can go up to about five hundred fifty or to six hundred kilometers because I tried some Vandenbergs in the one loop races. They did okay, uh, but on the last race they they came home a bit short. So oh, I think yeah. they're very very good from four hundred and fifty to five hundred kilometers. So like so that. you wouldn't race them. For a long distance race, you wouldn't put them in even. No, 
even if well, you cross yeah. them, even if you cross them with some long distance lines, what, what would what do you think to make I, make the long distance lines more speed in it? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I think uh, you can you can cross them with the long distance line, and you can try because some of them didn't come with the uh, you know like the body body and all the wings. Um, some of them are like look like a middle distance uh, bunting book. It's not really a big one, you know. Mm. So I think if you cross them with some, you know, old lines, they might do about 800 kilometers or 900 kilometers, something like that. Mm. So I've been talking to a few flies that, that actually have these, have obtained a few of these birds, and some of them say that they're a bit big in size. Do you find that they're a bit big in size, or what do you think of the um, uh, con- construction of their it, body type? Well, it depends where they came from. Like, uh, there's a lot of Dirk Bandenbos, and they're all different sizes. Like, if you get, if you acquire from the family of New Kittle, they're a bit, you know, uh, bigger birds. But when, if you acquire from Golda's line, which is Marcel Sanger's line, they're all small to medium-sized pigeon. So it depends what what uh, what line from Dirk Bandenbach you're getting. So do you find the ones that basically come from Marcel Sangers are the, probably the best sized ones? Yes, yes. I I find the uh, Marcel Sangers one are the best sized ones. Uh, Medium sized pigeon, um, is, and it's look like they're gonna fly middle distance. Yeah, excellent. Now, tell us a little bit about your training. How, how do you start training your birds, and, and what do you do to get them into form? Oh, well, you know, um, basically I am very strict, um, you know, trainer. Sometimes we, we say you have to be cruel to be good, you know. Um, I, I just keep them hungry all the time, so I, I have more control on them. And then, um, yeah, and... Um, what I do is I just let them out every day for a couple of hours. And then, you know, by the time it comes like April, they'll tell you if they're ready for tossing. Yeah, I think Tony's got a question for you. Go ahead, Tony. How many birds you send to the race every week? Um, I normally send 30 birds every week. You race with limit or open limit? Um, can you please say it again? What he's trying to say is, do you race, how many birds can you put in a race? Do you have a limit there in the Queensland Racing uh, yes, Pigeon Federation? In, yeah, in, in Queensland, we only have a uh, maximum of 30 birds. 30, 30 birds, Tony? Yeah. And um, you, you toss your birds? Yeah, you tosses. Yeah, you toss your birds. How far do you go in your tosses? Um, yes, uh, here we go. Um, yeah, uh, I toss my pigeons 125 kilometers every Saturday. So all my pigeons will go every weekend. Um, I send 30 in the race, and then I, I drive all the way to 125 kilometers every Saturday. How many tosses do you give them? Um, I, I give it like every week. Every Saturday, toss is 125. So one toss a week? So it's only once a week or twice, twice a week? Or? Or? Um, I do it twice a week. Um, I got on the middle week, on a Wednesday, I only take them up to 60 kilometers. Okay, so, so in the middle of the week, you'll do, give them a short sure. one, and then on the weekend, you'll, you'll rip it into them and give them a long one. 
Yes, yes. Mm. And what, what's the conditions like in Queensland for tossing and that? Do you find the Falcons give you a lot of grief? Um, yes, it, when we fly west, we always get smashed when we toss pigeons. That's why now we are actually organizing some group tosses. So let's say if we lost like 20 birds, it's not all 20 on your own. So we lost like one or two on each flyer, you know. Yeah. Um, when we fly north, we don't have really problems on the hooks. Uh, just the waste is very, very bad. And yeah. how is the temperature? Tony yeah. wants to know what's what, what, what's what's the temperature? Like racing in the hot weather. Uh, racing in the hot weather, I think it's hard. <laughs> because the last, the last few races, uh, I sent three on the last race. It was really, really hard. And... Yeah, I can't. Uh, I didn't get any pigeon home on the last race. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. So, um, what did the humidity affects them or more the heat? Uh, I think the heat will. It's it affects them the heat. Yeah. Now, I'll just ask you a question. We're living in Queensland with the humid weather and everything. How do you maintain the health and the immune system of your pigeons in that sort of conditions? Um, you know, I always just, you know, like use some um, apple cider vinegar and garlic. Uh, once a month, uh, canker treatment, uh, coccidiosis treatment once a month. Uh, that's all I do. I just keep the lop clean and get them out every day. Uh, bat, more bat. Uh, that's it. Yeah. And yeah, I haven't seen any sick pigeons in here. Mm. Do you clean them every day? Uh, not really. This time of the year, I only clean them like every three days, four days, something like that, because I got a bigger lop anyway, so it doesn't look really dirty after three days. But uh, when I started racing, I clean it every day, every morning, clean. Mm. So every time I let the pigeon out, then I clean it, yeah. And how many races you got, your race? In in my race in Queensland, yeah, like in the Queensland Pigeon Federation, how, how many, many weeks? Races? How many weeks Wait. do you race? Um, I think we got about twenty weeks, but we got like twenty six races because some of the weeks are double races. Yeah. So yeah, what's, I just was the last race in March. So uh, we started, so we started racing May until we finished on a, a October fifth. 600 mile last race. Or? So what, what do you do? You, what, what, distance, what distance do you go to? Do you go to the, like 600 miles for the last race? Ah yes, yes. We we race from the start up to 1,000 something kilometers. Yes. Ah yeah, mm. very good. Now your one loft races. I see you done very well in the meadow one loft race. What other one loft races have you done very well in? Um, I did all right with the Gold Coast 50,000 as well. I got 22nd on the last race. And um, yeah, um, maybe I'm just being being lucky. Uh, <laughs> in the middle, you know, we, everyone sent a good pigeons. Uh, I think you need to be lucky on that day too. And uh, the health of uh, the birds on that day. Mm. Mm. Well, that's very good. Now, your breeding. Now, what do you do? Do you do anything special to pair up your pigeons or do you line breed or how do you breed your birds? All right. Uh, first, first of all, I like breeding my own birds like line breeding. 
and I and then I started crossing them with something like new lines, um, any lines like Derek Bande. What what happened is my own line is my baseline, so I cross them with everything. I cross them with like a Goodyear. I cross them with the Johnson. I cross them with the Bandenburg, Cookman, name it. You know, um, so all my birds is they're all related because the reason why I'm focusing on this own family is they're really really consistent pigeons and they have the heart and they have the head you know the brain mm, very good yeah. now you're feeding when when you feed your birds do you feed them a light mix or how, how do you prepare your birds like for a sprint race and for a long distance race in your feeding all right uh, on my feeding the sprint racing i i normally feed them um light mix and then going to heavy mix it's like you know it's really light and to and then building them up before the uh race uh the basketing start you know yeah so in the uh, early races would you have more fibrous grains like barley wheat uh stuff like that or more peas what 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 what, what more do you add to your mix um on my mix i add more corn so you race more on corn than you would on peas yeah. or or any any other grain. Yeah, my my peas I only put like about thirteen percent peas, and my corn is like about sixty percent corn. Ah, yeah, and you find the corn does rip give them the, that more of the edge when they're racing. I think I think so. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of players in Queensland, um, we normally build them. With the corn, not not peas, because uh, I heard in Melbourne or other uh, state they use more peas on, on them. Yeah, but well, there's Queensland, a... I seen a, yeah I seen a successful player here that using more corn, more corn. Mm. Well, um, yes, and, and in Europe they use more corn, but in Melbourne there's a few flies that fly the distance very very well, and mm. they seem to use more peas than 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 maize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe probably because of a different weather as well. Yeah, it could be the climate. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, d- yeah different humidity. Because yeah. uh, one of the best long-distance player in Queensland, his name is Craig Porter, he put more corn, more corn when it goes up to the longer races. And he's been uh, always the long-distance champion all, always every year. Gee, yeah, that says yeah. a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, he's very, very good with the long distance. Yeah, 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 excellent, excellent. Now, would you like to tell us anything else? What else would you like to tell us about your birds or your racing? Um, what else I can say? Yeah, like um, anything that you would like to highlight. Like I've asked you questions now. I'm giving you the chance to highlight anything that you would like to highlight. What's the most important thing? For instance, what's what's the most important thing that you do with your birds that you think uh, give them the edge to win a race? Uh, well, you know, um, I like I like being there, like observe my observation for them. Uh, I keep them top health, um, you know, um, yeah, um, what, what I do is I just breed best from the best, so yeah, I well, can, yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and yeah. Me- medication-wise, what do you do with your medication? Do you blindly medicate or do you get them tested or, or how, what's your medication regime? Um, 
the only medication that I give them is the canker treatment and the um, calcidiosis treatment. So you don't give and, them any any other antibiotics or anything like that, or do you get a vet, um, vet checked? No, or? Uh, I don't give them antibiotics because uh, Dr. Michael Evans, he told me stay away from antibiotic, and he is uh, very, very good with that. He's got experience. So I have to follow what he said, you know. Yeah, he was helping me, yeah. So you don't, even if your birds break down and, and 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 there could be a little bit of respiratory in your loft. You won't you won't medicate. Um, if I see something like that on the early stage, I have to give a, a doxycycline for the birds. Uh, but this time of the year, like getting February, March, April, May until the raising season, I stay away from antibiotics. And what about your, your vaccination regime? Like we know that there's been a lot of problems in Queensland in the past couple of years with uh, viruses and that in pigeons. And what do you do with your vaccination? What what diseases do you vaccinate? You probably vaccinate for PMV mainly. Yeah. Yes. Um, I vaccinate for PMV, uh, Salmonella, um, pox. And then uh, this year, I tried to vaccinate for the rota. And how do you... Yeah. Yeah, every year, I always get the rota virus every April, you know, of the month. Oh, really? That's during racing season, is it? Yes, every time the tossing tossing season starts, I always get the rota virus. So everyone was telling me, what are you giving to your birds? Because how come every April, you'll get the rota virus? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea why mm. I'm getting it. Mm. So this this year I vaccinated them for rota, and hopefully I won't get it. No, I don't think you will because I've I've done the same thing in my loft, tested it out, and see. Well, you do get mild, mild, very mild symptoms of it, but you won't have a fully outbreak where the birds get sick and you can't race them. If you know what I mean. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Raise A Loft, uh, thank you for being a part of Pigeon Radio Australia. Thanks for your uh, uh, interview, and uh, we wish you all the success for the coming season, and I hope you do very well. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you, mate, and uh, have a nice day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. You don't need a shed in northern Queensland And it requires a small amount of nows Elevate on nine-foot foundations Park the youth right underneath the house Proud to be a Queensland bungalow In the middle of the tall sugar cane A green frog listens to the thunder And good old boys are drinking beer again Poor old Eddie lost his dog today Been together 15 years or so Not like him sitting in the corner Finds it hard to let his feelings show But he'll come around in a while He'll grab another muddy by the claw Throw the shells somewhere near the bucket Tomorrow we'll just hose them out the door 
underneath a Queensland bungalow In the middle of a tall sugar cane A green frog listens to the thunder And good old boys are drinking beer again Quickly gathers in the washing It's far too steamy today She'll throw the overalls in the dryer It was wishful thinking anyway Out there a little south of Townsville The monsoonal rains begin to pour No wonder a man's a heavy drinker Too hot to do much else, that's for sure You don't need a shed in northern Queensland And it requires a small amount of nouns Elevate on nine-foot foundations Park the youth right underneath the house Neville's found a forex in the freezer Ron and Graham are snoring on the floor Eddie's passed out on the trailer Tomorrow we'll just hose them out the door Underneath the Queensland bungalow In the middle of the tall sugar cane A green frog listens to the thunder And good old boys are drinking beer again Grab another muddy by the claw Your one-stop produce and farming supplies. Tara Meat. We get racing pigeons racing, horses racing, cattle and poultry feeding. All racing pigeon products and supplements available. We also have live poultry sales. Tara Meat stock feed and farming supplies. 1227 Holden Road, Tulin Vale. Open seven days a week. Telephone, Peter, on 0484-340-551. Southern FM sponsor. Natural Pigeon Products are the Australian distributors for Rhonefried Pigeon Products. Rhonefried, a German-based company, is a leading manufacturer of world-class, premium, European racing pigeon products that will help you maintain your racing pigeons' inner health all year round. Contact Natural Pigeon Products on 035-998-1000 and pigeonvitality.com.au Southern FM Sponsor For all your pigeon requirements, head to Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies. We make our own range of pigeon carry baskets, bird breeding cages and boxes. We're one of Melbourne's largest suppliers of quality seed, feed and more. You'll find health supplements, minerals and grits for pigeons and other breeds. Visit Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies at our retail shop in Apex Court, Thomastown or phone 9464 2439. Southern FM sponsor. Keep your pigeons healthy with Applied Nutrition Australia, number one for all-in-one bird supplements. 
Tummy Right for Pigeons is a nutritional supplement for racing pigeons to support proper functioning of the gastrointestinal tract. The applied nutrition range of products is made in Australia and sold factory direct to you. For top quality products formulated by Australia's leading animal and avicultural nutritionist, visit appliednutrition.com.au. Southern FM sponsor. We live in a great country, in great local communities, like yours. But did you know one in six Australian children live in poverty? Through no fault of their own, right here there are children living in poverty every day, deprived of what they need to keep up in school and struggling to learn. Many give up on their education. Donate to the Smith family and give the extra learning support every local child deserves to fulfil their potential. Search the Smith family. We are Victorians. We know fire. We know bushfires can be devastating, that they change direction in seconds and move faster than anyone can run. But extreme fire danger days are rare. So before you travel, check the fire danger rating. And if it's extreme or above, don't travel to those areas. If you're already there, leave. How well do you know fire? Plan, act, survive. Go to emergency.vig.gov.au. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. When temperatures rise, there's a hidden killer among us. It's the natural disaster that causes the most deaths in Australia. Extreme heat. But there are ways to survive the heat. Spend time indoors with air conditioning or a fan on. Drink plenty of water. Don't leave anyone alone in a car. Plan ahead. Avoid intense activities like exercising, renovating and gardening. And check in on others, especially people with pre-existing medical conditions, the elderly and young children. G'day, Josh Gatt, host of Bluestone Sounds, a show about live music and emerging acts. If you're a night owl like me, I'd like to very warmly invite you to come and hang out on your Friday morning, Thursday night. That's right, Bluestone Sounds Midnight Edition. Playing the risque stuff I can't play during the light of day. That's midnight till 3am on your Thursday night, Friday morning. Hi there, it's me, Graham the Garden Gnome. If you want to know everything about where I live in your garden, listen in to Molly's Blooming Hour every Saturday at 4pm. Only here on 88.3 Southern FM. <laughs> this is DDZ, your captain speaking. Tune in every Wednesday at 2pm. Travel the world, musically speaking. From the Eiffel Tower to the Rialto. From the Colosseum to the Pyramids. From the London Bridge to Golden Gate. Tune in every Wednesday, 2 p.m. for International Caravan with your captain, DDZ. You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia. Broadcast from Melbourne, Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, The Sounds of the Bayside. Stop the pigeon, stop the pigeon, stop the pigeon, stop 
You're tuned to 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside, and you're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia. And we have our uh, young junior correspondent, Bryden McPhee from Horsham, who is premiering his correspondence here on Pigeon Radio Australia. Hello, good morning, Bryden, and uh, welcome to Pigeon Radio. And uh, you've got a guest on the line, and I'll let you do the honours and conduct the interview with your special guest. Go ahead, mate. Yep, g'day, Ivan. G'day, everyone. Um, um, I will be interviewing John Mosquito today from the Horsham Pigeon Club. Um, so, how's your day been going, Skate, today? Yeah, good. Good. Um, did you get the quaddy today, mate? No, I missed out. No, actually, I'm still in it, but uh, it's only been two legs. Ah, oh, anyway. Um, so how the birds been going at the moment, mate? Oh, uh, all right, but um, got a, probably got a few problems there um, with PM, PM the uh, disease, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So is the breeding going all right? Yeah, breeding's been going really good, yeah. Awesome. All right. So you've been pretty successful over the um, few past years. What would you put it down to? Would you put it down to the food quality, the hard training? What do you think it is? Uh, probably both, uh, the feed and uh, hard training. Um, you know, you gotta you got to toss them hard and... Get a bit of distance into them to get to success, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last season, you blocked a bird on the night from the five hundred. Right? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it was a pretty hard race. Um, I didn't expect to get them home on the on the night. Um, I sort of went. Everyone I rang up, they said, "Oh, you probably won't see any." Pigeons home because the weather conditions weren't real good. So um, I went to bed. I had a look at 8 o'clock, no birds home. Um, got up the next morning, 7.30, and and went down the loft, and there's five birds in the loft, and, uh, and all I could see on the clock was uh, 7.27 uh, and, and 3 minutes to 10, and... Uh, yeah, uh, no, I've I seen the birds at, um, on the clock, it was 7.15, and uh, I didn't realise that I got two in the dark at 9.27 and three minutes to 10. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, well, there wasn't, there was, I don't think there was any others clocked on the night. No, no. So a lot of people were early in the next morning. We were. Yeah, yeah. We stayed up till late too and nothing come around, so we flicked the lights on down the back and uh, hit the pillow. Um, so everyone's different, I suppose, in breeds and bloodlines-wise. What would you say are your main bloodlines? Uh, the Goodges, Alan Goodger's blood from Adelaide and um, John Pryor's blood, well, Goodger, Goodger blood also. Okay. They're, they're good for the longer, they're good for the distance and real hard races. Yeah. Um, would you say that they're the like, main bloodlines that you've been most successful with? I'd say, yeah. Plus, I've got a few imports that 
they go right in the shorter races. Um, up to about 300 miles, they're pretty good. Um, and then the the Goodyear prior ones, they come in, you know, when you get the 300 onwards, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's obviously a fair few people listening on to Pigeon Radio. Um, and people are always willing to take on advice. Would there be any advice that you could give to anyone out there? Well, you've got to start off. If if you start off with pigeons, you've got to go to a flyer that's winning races, not 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 a person that doesn't do any good. So if I started off, I'd go to a flyer that's winning races and, and get pigeons off them. That would yeah. be the start. Yeah, that's it. Well, would you have any advice you could give us? Any advice? Yeah. Oh, well, you've got to... You know, you got to, when you start off, you got to sort of, um, you know, have good stock birds and you got to clean them out real, you know, pretty often and, um, um, you know, feed them right, train them right, and you, you'll have success, you know. Um, you know, you don't win aggregates if you don't put the effort into it. Yeah. And, like, in the last... Like in the last eight years, um, I've won the aggregate six times and been runner-up twice. So, you know, if you put the effort into it, you get the results. Yeah, that's it. Um, So people obviously um, have started in the sport at all different ages, I suppose. What age did you start in it? I started... Well, when I was uh, 16, I started in the juniors and then when I went into the um, seniors at 18, um, yeah, so I, I've been racing pigeons a lot, 50 odd years, so um, um, I suppose like, you know, I've had plenty of success from different different, uh, you know, like Geelong Cups, Horsham Cups, Dalesford Cups, I've won all them. Um, uh, so, yeah, I've, I've been, I've had plenty of success over the last 50 years, I'd say. Yeah, well, that's great. Um, so, when obviously, when you were younger in the juniors, um, how did people help you out in the start? Yeah, yeah, I had... Um, when I first started, I had feral pigeons, and uh, I had a uh, senior senior flyer, name of Basil Phillips. He he said, "Get rid of the feral pigeons, and I'll start you up with race pigeons." So that's what I, you know, end up giving me race birds, and I uh, started up with them. You know. Yeah. Well, it's always great, I suppose, when you've got other people that are willing to help you out. And, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, I had, um, like, Basil had good pigeons and um, he used to breed them for me. And, uh, you know, I, I think I won two Tassies with his pigeons and plus other races with his pigeons. So, no, they did well for me. Yeah. Um, so you won the British Plate last year. Yep. Um, was that pretty special to you? Yeah, yep. Um, um, I've won the Breeders' Plate probably, oh, probably about seven times. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's um, no, it's good to win these money races. Like you know, it's because uh, it's worth a bit of money. So like last year, it was worth five thousand dollars. So it was worth winning. You know. Yeah. And plus, I um, I got a few positions in it. The the bird that got second was bred by me. Uh, uh, Bruce French flew the pigeon. Um, then I finished ninth and also eleventh in the race last year. Yeah. Um. So you said you've won a fair few cups at di- in different um clubs and that. So would you say that your birds have done good in other conditions and other clubs and that? Yeah, yep. I um I bred some pigeons to Greg Hamilton last year. Um he got fourth fourth a so Marler, six hundred miles, a real hard race, and there was another race he got eight to Soch with one of my birds, so uh my pigeons have done all right. I've bred pigeons for other blokes and they've done all right with them. So, yeah, um, no, they uh, they go all right for other people too. Yeah, that's great. Mm. Well, maybe we could um, drop some rings off in your place and we'll see if they go any good in our loft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose you could, yeah. Yeah, I think he's uh, trying to get a few birds off you, John, to, to yeah. probably, probably give you a bit of competition, mate. <laughs> no, Blake's have done all right for my birds before, so... Yeah. yeah. Now, well, um, where did you actually start racing? You know, you haven't been in Horsham all your life, have you? Yeah, I've been in Horsham all my life. Oh, yeah, so you started racing in Horsham as a junior? Yep, I started when I was uh, 16, then I went into the seniors when I was 18. All right, and so, yeah. In the in the last 40 years, I've won the aggregate uh, 14 times, runner-up 10 wow. times, uh, third six times, and fourth about six times. That's from 1981 to nine, uh, 2021. Gee, that's, that's all right. Now, um, what, what do you reckon? You don't want to give us any of your secrets, do you? Well, <laughs> well what, do you, what do you want to know? Well, how do you get so much success in all those years in Horsham? How do you keep getting consistent results like that? Yeah, but you've got to have, you got to have good pigeons and, you, and you've got to, you know, you've got to have them healthy and feed them right and train them right. You know, you've got to know when they need more work and when they don't need more work, you know. Mm. Now, you mentioned uh, you've had trouble with uh, virus viruses that are, that are spreading around Australia with the pigeons. Um, yep. what, what do you do in, 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 in view of medication? Do you medicate your birds when you're racing or, or do you steer clear from medication? No, I, I do medicate, but... When when I reckon they need it, I do them. I I do them. I reckon the three things you got to do them for is respiratory, uh, canker. You know, they're the they're the two yeah. you sort of got to watch out for. 
So what, what's um, what's the trouble you've been having with with what what kind of virus is it the rotavirus or the PMV? Yeah, no, no PMV. Oh really? And do you, yeah, do you don't yeah, vaccinate um, your birds when when they come out the nest, or how, how do you? No, do it? I, I reckon I got it from our Brutus plate sale. No, oh, really? Yeah, pigeons were put in the sale, and um, there's probably about four or five of us in the club that, that got it at the moment. Mm, gee, that's a shame because PMV is a very dangerous virus. But do you? How do you vaccinate? Do you vaccinate for PMV? Yes, I do. Yeah, I do them twice. Some of them get th- three times, and I I do them also for rotavirus too, twice. Gee, that's that's amazing that you've uh, copped it in your loft when you when you're um, doing all those sort of things with your birds. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just just unlucky you know yeah I, yeah. Try to, I try to stay away from other blokes pigeons but you know blokes bought them and they they say oh can you race them so i um i took them and it was probably the wrong thing to do you know i shouldn't have took them just two your pigeons all vaccinated twice they're not really covered you know yeah uh, you vaccinate them once and um it doesn't really work the first time and then four weeks later, you do them again. And then it, after a couple of weeks after that, it kicks in and that's when it works, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, do you send birds around to other cities? I know you mentioned Greg Hamilton. Um, where else do you send your birds and who else does well with your pigeons? Do you send any down to Melbourne town? Yeah, I, um, I put some in once in the uh, breeders' plate in in Melbourne, and uh, and uh, they had the breeders' plate, but it, my bird didn't do any good. But two weeks later, they had the national race. DHA had their national race, and my pigeon won the, the national all over Melbourne. True. Um, no, like... And uh, who, who raced Peter that? has done well with me pigeons in, um, in Carlac. He's flown good with me pigeons. Um, yeah, I get blokes to try me birds out from other towns, you know. Yeah, and who won the national race in Melbourne with your bird? Um, oh, I'm trying to think of his name. Uh, <laughs> uh, Noel Podesta. Oh, yeah, very good flyer, yeah. Very good flyer. Yeah, Excellent. Noel Podesta. Yeah, well, you sent, you sent your birds to a good flyer, so that's why you've got the results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your and your birds seem to do well everywhere you send them, don't they? Yeah, yep. Yeah, I've had blokes, you know, I've bred them for blokes that like Shepparton and and uh, all over the place, and they all seem to fly well. Uh, uh, Joe Costa flies well for me pigeons in in Swan Hill. Um, he's had success with them, you know, from five, six, and seven hundred mile. Oh, yeah, fantastic. And uh, do you reckon that you're, you're going to have continued success with your birds or do you think some of these imports might overtake take your birds and uh, maybe give you a bit of competition? But you haven't had much competition lately, have you? Your, your birds seem to be doing very, very well all the time. Yeah, it's hard. To, every year, you know, you've got to... St- try to stay at the top and blokes are always trying to knock you off the top perch, you know. But, you know, we got around about 20 flyers, so, you know, it's pretty hard to yeah. 
and especially seeds, you know. Yeah, and um, especially in a country town like Horsham, you'd have falcons, uh, uh, you know, at the back of your neck and uh, things like that to to co- compete with. And uh, when you're tossing, also the falcons must give you a lot of grief. Yeah, yeah, we get them bad here. Like um, there was one in the mine there yesterday. Uh, didn't get any, but uh, had a go at them, you know. But, yeah, no, Horsham, uh, around this area, the falcons are pretty bad, you know. So you sort of got to breed a few more to, you know, sort of... The yeah, to compensate. Cover, yeah. yeah, cover your losses, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I understand. All right, I'll hand it back to Bride and Bride. So thanks for coming on the um, radio this afternoon, um, Skate, and yep. um, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks for having me on, and yeah, it was a great pleasure to be on the show. Oh, look, it was a pleasure having you, and you're welcome to come on any time. All right, no worries. Thanks, mate. See you later. All right, bye. Thanks. And, uh, Bryden, you've done an excellent job. Very well done. Good on you, mate. Thank you. Nah, you've done a good job, and uh, we look forward to hearing your next interview. Rightio. Thanks, mate. See you later. See ya. Your voice in the community. 88.3 Southern FM We're back up in the country Back in the hills Down in the hollows Where the folks are real Living with the crazies And the old wildcats Sawed off shotguns And coonskin caps That's where I'm from And I'm proud I'm from the country and I like it that way Everybody knows everybody Everybody calls you friend You don't need an invitation Kick off your shoes, come on in Yeah, we know how to work and we know how to play We're from the country and we like it that way And we like it that way Everybody knows everybody Everybody calls you free You don't need an invitation Get off your shoes, come on in Yeah, we know how to work And we know how to play We're from the country And we like it that way Kick off your shoes, come on in 
country. We're from the country. We're from the country, and we like it that way. pigeons healthy with Applied Nutrition Australia, number one for all-in-one bird supplements. Tummy Right for Pigeons is a nutritional supplement for racing pigeons to support proper functioning of the gastrointestinal tract. The Applied Nutrition range of products is made in Australia and sold factory direct to you. For top quality products formulated by Australia's leading animal and avicultural nutritionist, visit appliednutrition.com.au. Southern FM sponsor. For all your pigeon requirements, head to Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies. We make our own range of pigeon carry baskets, bird breeding cages and boxes. We're one of Melbourne's largest suppliers of quality seed, feed and more. You'll find health supplements, minerals and grits for pigeons and other breeds. Visit Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies at our retail shop in Apex Court, Thomastown or phone 9464 2439. Southern FM Sponsor. Natural Pigeon Products are the Australian distributors for Rhonefried Pigeon Products. Rhonefried, a German-based company, is a leading manufacturer of world-class, premium, European racing pigeon products that will help you maintain your racing pigeons' inner health all year round. Contact Natural Pigeon Products on 035-998-1000 and pigeonvitality.com.au Southern FM Sponsor your one-stop produce and farming supplies. Tara Mead. We get racing pigeons racing, horses racing, cattle and poultry feeding. All racing pigeon products and supplements available. We also have live poultry sales. Tara Mead stock feed and farming supplies. 1227 Holden Road, Tulin Vale. Open seven days a week. Telephone, Peter, on 0484 340. Southern FM sponsor. I know fire. I know that burning embers from bushfires can travel 30 kilometres, lighting new fires in seconds, like the one that burnt my house down. I know extreme fire danger ratings or above aren't announced often, but when they are, you need to be ready. Check the Vic Emergency app daily and be prepared to leave early. How well do you know fire? Plan, act, survive. Go to emergency.vic.gov.au. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. And I had a dream that someday I would just fly, fly away. And I always knew I couldn't stay. So I had a dream that I'd just fly away. You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside. And I always knew
Oh, well, Tony, it's time to say goodbye from Pigeon Radio Australia for another week, and uh, goodbye, Tony. Goodbye, Ivan, and goodbye to everybody around the world. And we'll catch you next week with some more exciting stuff here on Pigeon Radio Australia. Until then, cheerio. So, stop the pigeon, stop the pigeon.